Well, um, that was the last time you have to listen to that video uh, for a while, unless you want to come back here in a little bit and hear it again, or come this evening. But uh, it's been it's been fun. We've gone through these I am statements found in the Book of John over the last eight weeks, and and uh, uh, hopefully that video didn't annoy you too much as we uh, got to experience it each week to prepare for our sermon. But uh, the purpose for that was just to kind of get those words repeating in our mind, and I know. I'll probably never hear some of those, those uh, statements from Scripture the same way after eight weeks of, of the video. So uh, anyways, today we're going to continue on with this uh, I Am study, our last week. Uh, next week we begin a new sermon series, and it's titled This Not That. And this will be over the course of the summer. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4, the last part of Ephesians 4, and looking at uh, the things we need to, to do in life versus the things we need to not do in life. And so, for example, things like speaking truth, not falsehood, right? And uh, putting off uh, the old self, putting on the new self, uh, kind of that type of idea. So I look forward to, to going through that study uh, together over the course of this summer. But before we jump too far ahead in that, let's, uh, let's review a little bit the last eight weeks. We, we uh, took a look at uh, seven different I am statements that Jesus made in the book of John. Seven different ones. We started in John chapter 6. And so I'm going to test you guys a little bit this morning. So I'm looking for a little bit of interaction back and forth. So hopefully you're awake. Um, but if not, I'll, I'll have to answer these questions myself. And that'll be uh, embarrassing. Don't do that to me this morning, right? All right, John chapter 6. We started off. We're looking at a statement that Jesus made where he said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Uh, Does anyone remember what we were talking about when we looked at that verse of I am the bread of life? What is Jesus' role as the great I am being our bread of life? Does anyone remember? Ah, I heard it. Sustainer of what? What kind of life? Physical life? Spiritual life, right? Our, our, Our spiritual life. And, and that biological life isn't what he was necessarily talking about, though he is the sustainer of bi- and provider of biological life. But more importantly, he is the provider and sustainer of our spiritual life, our spiritual life, our eternal life that we have in him. In John chapter 8, we skipped ahead a couple chapters and we looked at Jesus' statement of, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. What, what were we talking about with Jesus being our light? Our comfort, our comfort, right? Our, our comfort in times of trouble and our rescuer in, from distress. Our rescuer from, from prison was one of the verses we read from. So our deliverer uh, from darkness and our comforter in time of distress. Okay, good job. Two for two. I'm impressed. John chapter 10 is what we went, where we went to next. The first part of John 10 where Jesus stated that he was the door or the gate. The door or the gate. What was what is Jesus saying when he says, I am the door, I am the gate? What was it, Patty? The way to heaven? Close. He is, but we said that's not exactly what he's talking about with this portion of Scripture. What does a shepherd do when he lays in front of the gate? The protector, right? The protector. He's the protector from danger both inside, in other words, danger that we present ourselves, but also from those influences from the outside protecting us all right the next week we looked at john chapter 10 again a few verses later when jesus said i am the good shepherd i'm the good shepherd now this one you probably can't get wrong 
But what do you think Jesus was talking about? What did we talk about that week with Jesus being, I am the good shepherd? Okay, he knows us like a shepherd knows his sheep. What else? He laid down his life for us. He's, he, he's our, our rescuer, right? He'll put himself in harm's way. What else? He cares for us like a shepherd keeps, cares for his sheep, right? Basically, all of the other things that we had talked about, all those other I am statements that we found in Scripture are kind of summed up in this I am the good shepherd. It looks like a shepherd guides his sheep, feeds his sheep, comforts his sheep, defends his sheep. He takes care of them. He's the good shepherd. Then we went to John chapter 11 where Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And I had kind of a, a main point here with this idea of Jesus being our resurrection and our life. Not that it's something to come, but what? He's our resurrection and life when? Right now. Okay, he's our resurrection in life now. And he has the power over life and death now. And in this passage of scripture, we saw him uh, display that in raising Lazarus from the dead. A couple weeks ago, we looked at John chapter 14, where Jesus stated, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Patty, what are we talking about? There we go. <laughs> Jesus is the way. He is the path. He is the only way that we can approach the Father is through Jesus himself. Not through other outside philosophies of this world, other religions, but purely through the narrow path, which is Jesus. And it says that clearly in Scripture. And that is the truth of the matter. John chapter 15, last week, we looked at this concept of Jesus being the true vine. He is the vine. As the vine, what does he provide for his believers, or for his followers? You remember from last week? Nobody? Everyone was sleeping? No. <laughs> Charles, I'm picking on you. There we go. Thank you. The sustenance, the nourishment, right? He provides the branches with the nourishment, the sustenance to do what? Bear fruit, right? And so we need to stay connected to the vine to be fruit bearers for Jesus. And we bear that fruit through growth on ourself and through bringing others to know him. So that's kind of a summary of what we've looked at in these I am statements of Jesus. We started off with Peter's question of who do you say that I am? And he answered You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then we went into these seven statements. Well, today we're going to backtrack just a little bit in the book of John. We're actually, we skipped one, kind of. Uh, In John chapter 8, we find another I am statement. And we didn't cover this one because this is one that doesn't, it doesn't have a uh, kind of a clarification attached to it. These other I am statements, Jesus said something like, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, the life. Well, this one, he just says, I am. And so we're going to read from John chapter 8, and we're going to find this final I am statement from John. John chapter 8, starting in verse 51. Very truly, oh, wow, I almost forgot. There's something important I have to tell you first. (laughs) This this passage, John chapter 8, comes right on the heels of Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. He had just said that. And it says in Scripture, just a little while, while later, that in the book, in, in John chapter 8, that because of his talk on being the light of the world, that many of the Jews and Pharisees that he were talking to came to believe in him. Okay, he gave this, this, uh, this teaching that he was the light, and people said, I believe that you are the light of the world, and I want to follow you. I am now a believer in Jesus. And so in John chapter 8, here in this passage, it says that we are dealing with, or he is talking to, 
believers, Jews that have believed in Jesus. Okay, so it's important for us to understand this when we start to see some of the things that take place in this passage, that he is talking to Jews who have believed in him as their light of the world. So let's pick it up now in John 8, 51. Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. As they ex- at this, they exclaimed, now we know that you are demon-possessed. Okay, now think about that for a second. Who is he talking to? Jewish believers, Jews who have believed in him just recently. But he's starting to say some things that they're starting to question. At this they exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Okay, now I, this is a, uh, I'm not reading too much tone into it, I don't think. Okay, they're a little bit upset here. Who do you think you are? And Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly I tell you, Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. This is kind of an interesting passage of scripture. Because of who Jesus is interacting with. He's not talking with a group of Pharisees that are out to get him in this moment. He has those conversations in in the Gospels. But here it says at the beginning of chapter 8, he is dealing with the Jews that have believed him. And yet he's taken it too far for their comfort level. How far did he take it? He claimed to be God. He didn't just say, I am a follower of God, I am a teacher of God, I am a rabbi, I am a leader, I have wise things to say. No, he's saying, I am. And he left it at that. Ego, I me, I exist. You might remember from our first week of this I am statement when we looked at ego, I me, that statement means I existed, I exist in this moment, and I will forever exist into the future. I am And the only being that ever has been in that way is God himself. And so that is why they're calling him demon-possessed and why they pick up rocks to try to kill him. You know, these words that we see from Jesus in this passage in verse 51 when he says, Whoever obeys my word will never see death. Or verse 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day, and he saw it and was glad. Or, before Abraham was born, I am. Those statements are statements of a man who has complete confidence in his role as God. Complete understanding of who he is and what he is here to accomplish. Jesus had confidence, complete confidence, in his relationship with the Father and in his role as our God. You know, if Jesus had that confidence, he also wants us to have confidence in him and in the Father. And there's a lot of reasons from Scripture that we have to have that same confidence that Jesus had when he stated at the risk of his death that he 
is. So we're going to look at some of those this morning. The first reason that we can have confidence in God, that same confidence that he had, simply is this, because he is. And that statement of I am applies just as much today, 2,000 years later, after it was uttered, than it did back then. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. God, over and over, wants to help us understand through Scripture that He always has been here and that He always will be here. You know, that, that fact to me is very reassuring. We don't serve a God who was and then is no more. You know, I have had a great relationship growing up with my grandfather. And, and he taught me and he fed into me. And I respect him and I respect what he did and the, the role he was in our family. But he died. And he, he went on to his heavenly reward. And I have his impact in my life, but I can't go to him anymore. And his impact on my life is continuing through the legacy that he lived, but it no longer is physically present in my life. That's not the type of God we serve. Right? We serve a God who was, and he had an impact on our life. But we serve a God who is right now having an impact on our life, and he will be with us always. And that should give us confidence. It should give us comfort in who he is. And these statements, I wanted to bring back Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. When Moses was called by God to lead his people to help deliver them from Egypt, he used the same exact statement when he said, God said, when it says this in scripture, God said to Moses, I am who I am. Basically he's saying, tell him I am and that should be enough. Right? I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. Sent me to you. The I am. You know, he is. And the fact that he is should give you confidence. We serve a God who wasn't created, but he always has been, and he always will be. And sometimes that's, that's difficult for us to wrap our minds around. We'll talk about that in just a few minutes, but we can have confidence in him because of that. Another way that we can have confidence in God is because he will prove himself. He will prove himself to you. In Philippians uh, Paul writes some words and throughout the book of Philippians that should give us great assurance. The first one is in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He will bring it to completion. Paul had complete confidence in God's ability to continue working in your life until the job is done. He did. He had absolute confidence in that. And we see that reflected in Philippians chapter 4 in several different verses. We have several I'm going to read right back to back. I want you to see if you can catch these, the confidence that we have or that Paul had in God. Do not be anxious about anything, starting in verse 6. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It will guard, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Verse 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to his riches, his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He will meet all of your needs. And these aren't words of someone who had just a minor trust in God. 
He doesn't ever say that uh, God may bring it to completion. Right? He doesn't use soft words like may. He may guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He may grant you peace, right? He may meet your needs. No, he says he will. Okay? And he will prove himself. You know, sometimes when we get caught up in our lives and the difficulties of what we're going through, it's tough to see God's hand at work in those moments. But I know that in every t- single situation that I found myself in like that, it's when I come out the other side that I can look back and I can see God's handiwork. He did complete a good work in me. He did use that situation for my benefit. He did deliver me uh, or give me peace in the midst of chaos. He will prove himself to you. You can have confidence in that. <laughs> Another reason that we can have confidence in God is because he isn't like us. He isn't like us. That's a good thing, right? Because we're driven by desires, right? We're, de- we're driven by the whim of the moment, you know, how we're feeling, what we ate for lunch or breakfast will determine our mood the rest of the day. Right? I don't know about you, but it will me. The heat outside will, will dictate my mood sometimes. Yesterday was one of those situations. It gets 90 degrees, I get grumpy. Right? You know, God isn't like us. He doesn't uh, change based on how he's feeling in the moment. He's consistent. <clears throat> in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, or your ways my ways, excuse me, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You know, that should be reassuring to you. You know, even some of the, the most godly men and women I've known in my life have bad days, right, where they're not at the top of their game. And they say something or, or do, do something, excuse me, out of their character in that moment. God doesn't have character breakdowns, right? His ways are not like ours. Numbers twenty three nineteen. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he, will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Okay. There are times when, <coughs> excuse me, the best of us have those moments of self-preservation, you know, that's really where lying comes from. We want to preserve a sense of self, an image of ourself, uh, uh, you know, make, make an, Im, you know, an image that we've created. We don't want to ruin our reputation, and so we tell a little lie so we don't look quite as bad. But God's not like that. He's not worried about his reputation in our minds. He's not going to lie. He doesn't need to repent. And when he says he's going to do something, he does it. Jeremiah thirty-two twenty-seven. <coughs> Excuse me. Behold... I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Anything at all? Anything too difficult for God to do? No. The only thing he can't do is do something outside of his character, right? Do something outside of his integrity. He's not going to do that. Unfortunately, that's different than us. It's different than us. Is there anything too hard for me? Yeah, definitely. There are times when I need help. God doesn't need help. He's not like us. That should give us assurance. It should give us confidence in who he is. Last one, because he expects us to have confidence in him. We can have confidence in him because of his expectations. He's, he's commanded us. He's told us to have confidence in him. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, and throughout scripture consistently, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. In other words, have confidence. Trust me. 
Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Why can you have confidence in God? He wants you to have confidence. And he's going to be there with you wherever, through whatever, any situation you find yourself in. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 26. For the Lord will be your confidence. <coughs> he will be your confidence. And he will keep your foot from being caught. Not when you're running away from trouble, Don. I see where your mind's going. Right? He will be your confidence. You know, there's going to be times in our lives when our confidence is shaken. Even in God. It's going to come a time when you're going to look at your life and the situation you're, you're in and you're going to say, God, where are you? It's in those moments that God is going to be our confidence. You know the thing that I don't have confidence in when it comes to God? This is really rub, the real rub in life. The thing I don't have confidence in God is that he's going to work in the way I want him to work. You know? There are times, there are a lot of times, when I wish God was just a genie in a bottle who gave me my wishes and my desires. Now, not the tricky kind of genie that says, you want a million bucks, and boom, there's a million deer in your yard, right? (laughs) Though with the price of beef these days, that actually might not be too bad. But you know what I'm talking about? We have our desires and our, our, our dreams and the things that we want to have happen in our life. And frankly, I'm not too confident that God's going to answer those things for us. You know, in that Philippians passage that we just read, chapter 4, it says, My God will meet all your needs according to his riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Notice what it didn't say. It didn't say that he's going to meet all of our wants. He's going to meet all of our dreams, all of our desires, all of our wishes. Why can't he do that? Right? You know, what's frustrating to me at times is that not all of those wishes and dreams and desires are selfish. I can understand that sometimes. When I want something that's selfish, I can understand God saying, you know what? Nope. That's selfish. I've told you not to be selfish. But what about when that desire is for the good of someone else? That's when it's tough. Why can't he do that? You know, not everything we want is selfish. But you know what the scripture tells us? God's ways are not our ways. God sees the bigger picture. And maybe what he's trying to accomplish in a moment is way beyond what I can understand. Maybe it's way bigger than I ever could have planned or what I could see in front of me. You know, I, I know that's been the truth in my life. Over and over again, I've experienced times of, of extreme loneliness. I've faced uh, deep discouragement extreme frustration at myself and at God himself. You know, I've experienced loss. I've had self-doubt. I've had my dreams shattered and my heart broken. Yet in every one of those situations, God has continued to work. Not always in a way that I I wanted him to. You know, I, I wanted that job really bad. I wanted to achieve that accomplishment. I wanted the recognition I wanted the relationship. I wanted the dreams to be realized. But he led me down a different path. And honestly, I I stand up here today as the teaching pastor of Southside because of broken dreams. You know, because of disappointment and discouragement. And in those moments, that's what I wanted in, in such a strong way that I would have done anything to accomplish those things, to achieve those things. But God had a different plan for my life. And I am so thrilled that I didn't get a genie in the bottle 
who answered my wishes. Because what he had planned for me was so much greater than what I could have ever planned for myself. God may not want to do things the way you want him to. So how are you going to react in those situations? What are you going to do when you don't understand the answer that you're receiving? And when things don't go the way you want them to? You know, if you're in that situation right now, I hope you can understand that what God has planned for you in your life is going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. And it may take a while to get through. And it may be that what is amazing about it is the next life to come. Because you know what I believe? I believe that God cares more about your eternity than he does about your present situation. He cares not that he doesn't care about what you're going through right now, but what he cares about is what is going to the product that's going to come out the other side. Last week we talked about that verse when we talked about the three little pigs. You know, with our life is refined by the fire. See, God is more concerned about what comes out of the fire than what goes into it. And you may be in that fire right now, or you may be about to go into that fire, but God's going to be with you right there. You know, if a few months back we looked at a passage of Scripture where Jesus was with his disciples on that, a boat, and there was a storm coming, and the disciples got worried about it. And finally they woke up Jesus, and what did he say to the storm? Peace, be still. And, and the storm calmed. See, if he had taken them around that storm, if they had avoided that storm, they never would have had the blessing of seeing what Jesus did in that moment. But God took them right through the middle of the storm so that he could show his authority and his power and the control he had over their situation, over their life. God cares more about your eternity than he does your present situation. And that idea is hard to accept at times, especially in the middle of difficulty. But it's the truth that when we grasp hold of that real purpose will help us through anything that we face. So let's look at these again. Jesus made these I am statements. And they're comforting. And they should give us confidence in who he is. Jesus said, I am the bread of life, the sustainer and provider of our spiritual life. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And I will be there through you in your times of darkness as your comforter and your rescuer. I am the gate. I am the door. And I will protect you. I am the good shepherd. I love you. I'll care for you. I'll provide for you. I'll defend you. I am the resurrection and the life. And I will be the one who has authority over your life and death from this moment on. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I have given you the access. I have given you access and I have shown you the way directly to the Father. And He is. I am. When Peter was asked by Jesus, Who do you say that I am? He stood up and he gave an answer that really summed up these I am statements. He said, You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And in that statement, he acknowledged Jesus' authority as creator, as, as provider and sustainer of life. He acknowledged Jesus' position as Messiah, as our rescuer, our deliverer, our comforter, and our guide. You know, I know there were times in Peter's life when he had to have questioned Jesus. What are you doing? Why are you doing it that way? 
There were times when he had to have been scared and worried and frustrated and upset at Jesus for not doing it the way he would have done things. Yet in the middle of all of that, and long after Jesus had gone back to be with the Father, we see that Peter held true to his commitment and recognizes Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Peter's life wasn't devoid of troubles and trials. Throughout his life, he remained solid in his trust and his confidence in his Lord, even though he ultimately lost his life in service to that Lord and Savior. What about you? Who do you say that he is? Have you accepted these I am statements personally? Maybe you've accepted them, but have you experienced them? Have you experienced him as your light and your life, your protector, your guide, your resurrection? You know, I believe that one day that we will all stand before the throne of God. And we're going to be asked a question, who do you say that I am? What's your answer going to be that day? But more importantly, what is your life going to show your answer is that day? Let's pray. Father, we love you so very much. And we're so grateful, Father, that you sent your Son to be our I Am. Our guide, our comforter, our provider of life, our resurrection, our way, all of these things, Father. Father, we'd be lost without him. And I'm not just talking about direction. Eternally lost. And Father, you've rescued us and you've brought us out of darkness and you've placed us into your light. We will be forever grateful. But I pray, Father, that in that gratefulness, that our lives will, will change. That our lives will align more with your will. Even when that will isn't what we want and it goes a different direction than what we've planned, may we have confidence in your leading. Because, Father, you won't lead us astray. In the middle of the storm, I just pray that we'll trust. Because we know that as soon as that storm is calmed, we'll look back and we'll see your hand at work in our life. We love you for that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as our worship... Uh, team comes back up i would like to challenge you we have a new memory verse of the month this is the new memory verse for the month of june it's first peter chapter 2 verse 24 first peter 2 24 uh, say it with me here he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds you have been healed okay, it's kind of a long one i went a short route last month I'm, i've added to it this month But I want you to think of this as the story of the gospel in one statement. Okay, why, why, what happened? Well, he bore our sins in his body on the cross. Why? So we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Because of his wounds that we've been healed. Okay, that's the story of the gospel right there. We can memorize the whole gospel in one easy, one easy statement. Memorize that this month. Next one. We don't have this in your, in your bullets. And over the next few weeks, we're not going to have all of our next steps or our, our take-at-homes because Julie's on vacation. Shame on her. But uh, she's in Maine. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to miss those. But I've, I've got one more for you to write down. Who do you say that Jesus is? I'd like to encourage you this week. Maybe take, a, take the time around the dinner table at home to tell a friend or a family member what Jesus means to you. Who do you say that he is? Don't keep it inside. Tell somebody. Tell them what Jesus means to you. I know that you'll be a blessing to someone else because of what Jesus is to you. 
Okay? You'll bless someone else's life. 